A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. Because old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. This new year, we need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's still ours to win. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is James Arnold Taylor, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Hmm, I have a good feeling about this. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kenobi, show number 374. We are your spoiler-free place for Star Wars discussion, analysis, and rhetoric. I'm your host, Dan Z, drinking One Nation coffee out of my Boba's Beans coffee mug, the collectible from Celebration Chicago. How appropriate for this episode, the tragedy, a lot to unpack, an emotional episode for sure. So let's just jump right into it right now. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite coffee mug, and let's have some coffee with Kenobi. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. Join us today for a cup of coffee to discuss the tragedy episode. I'm sorry, not episode. You think I know this by now, gentlemen? Chapter 14 of The Mandalorian. We've got two guests, two returning guests, and we've never had the two of you on at the same time. In fact, it's been a while since we've discussed anything with both of you, at least on the air. So I'm very excited to welcome returning guests to the show. First, we're going to bring the co-host of Coruscant Community College, Craig Dickinson. Hey, Dan. It's great to be back. Very excited to talk about this episode. Yes, I am excited to have you on too. We uh, Full disclosure, we we're going to have you on uh, to talk about the Jedi, but it didn't work out scheduling-wise. But I have a feeling you're happy it didn't work out after seeing this one. Yeah, I was a little bit bummed. And then when I saw this last episode, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. yeah, that was a pretty good trade. I'll take that. Yeah, I, I, w- I would concur. Also joining us on, on the show today is returning guest and longtime friend of the show, Jared Cantor. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And just to show that Star Wars rhymes and echoes, the last time I was on, we were discussing Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. That's right. How about that? How about that? Craig, when was the last time you were on? I feel like I've talked to you a lot uh, recently, but that's just because we've been talking about your awesome podcast, which we're going to talk about uh, later for sure. Thanks. Uh, You know, I think the last time I was on was right before Clone Wars uh, Season 7 came on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so January ish, I think it's been a little while, man. And now you're all grown up and got your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So that's probably the last time we're going to laugh on this episode because we have got quite an incredible power packed episode. When I turned it on, as I've been saying for a long time now, the tradition that the Zare household is we wake up extra early I get breakfast ready, get the coffee ready for dad, and then we go downstairs, fire up the TV, and get it started. And right away, we noticed that the episode was was a, a very short episode. Was it thirty? Is it thirty three minutes long? Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah that 34. sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I and I and I had two con- thoughts kind of hitting me at the exact same time. One was, oh, geez, well, this is way shorter than last week. And then the second part is, uh oh, it's way short. They're going to pack a lot here. And boy, did they ever. So, Jared, we're going to start with you. Go ahead and give us a letter grade for the episode and your overall thoughts on it. 
I'm going to give it uh, a solid A. I would have to say that I think, um, as much as I loved last week's episode, I think this really was a home run. I think it's a combination of being uh, very daring with um, some of the things they did that I'm sure we'll discuss. Uh, The lore building that I think went on in the episode. And going back to the Gunslinger Chapter 5, that unlike with some other Star Wars recently, we have breadcrumbs in this series that consistently get picked up because there's such a strong, um, you know, writer's hand, John Favreau, behind this. And I, and I think, to me, that really is what made this episode stand out. Craig, what about you? Do you what is your letter grade? And, and like, like Jared said, there's a lot of standout stuff to, to admire about this. Is, there's, just a, there's a lot going on, but I'm excited to see what your letter grade is as well. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree and give a, give a solid A. I I don't really give A pluses, although there I can't think of anything that I would change. Um, the episode again, as as short as it was, was just so packed full of awesomeness with you know following up on those breadcrumbs like we talked about and new reveals and just some amazing action sequences and cinematography and you know it was it was a thing i i don't think i'd had an episode yet where i just had to talk about it immediately as soon as it was over as it was over this this one i was like i'm i just have to talk about this and so i i made my wife and my kids we have to debrief uh, because there was just so much in it that i i liked and it asked so many interesting questions and that's one of my favorite things about star wars that really it's the it's the asking of the questions that i like i i concur with that to me when I have more questions than I do answers and I feel very satisfied as, as a consumer of, of this incredible medium that star Wars is, I would give this an a plus it to me. It's the a plus of the a pluses. It's, it's probably, if it's not the best episode that has ever been done, uh, it's certainly one a it's, it's tremendous. It's powerful. When I saw the, the title, the tragedy, I was really quite pleased and also quite concerned because, you know, Tragedy, of course, Craig. Why don't you tell the tell the good folks on what does tragedy mean to an English teacher? Well, tragedy, you're going to be upset at the end. You know, it, it's it's letting you know that something horrible is going to happen, and our characters are going to experience some pain. There's going to probably be some loss, and for me, the the connotation in tragedy, I'm I'm thinking death is my immediate thought. Uh, I was happy to see that that didn't happen, but it did take us through those emotions. There was some some definite you know separation, uh, which is it's like a death uh, in this case. Um, what I really enjoyed about the title, though, is that it it didn't give us enough. Uh, it didn't it didn't clue us into what was going to happen. You knew it was going to be bad, but as opposed to last week's episode where it said the Jedi, I'm like, well, she's in this episode. This one was vague enough where you did not know what was going to happen, but you had a f- you were kind of prepared uh, for the ride that was going to was going to occur. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very powerful in in a Shakespearean fashion. Tragedy does mean death. It means a, and it also means a a huge fall from grace. I think we could argue if that was necessarily the case here. I don't think that it was, but but I do think there's something important about it. I, it's a it's a tremendously powerful episode. And I don't know, I mean, Craig has mentioned how he felt as soon as it was over. And Jared, I'm not sure about you, but when it was over for me, 
my son just looked at me and he kind of made this face like he didn't really know what to expect. And he said to me, I'm never going to watch that one again. I'm too sad. But he couldn't stop talking about it. And I couldn't say anything. Like I literally felt like someone had punched me in the stomach. I just was completely gasping and extremely satisfied again, as a consumer of this medium and, and what it actually means for us. So let's just start at the very beginning, Jared, when we see the episode before we actually get to new stuff, to me, the flashbacks kind of set up that we were in for quite a ride. Yeah. I have um, really become a fan of, of watching those flashbacks and, and my notes for this, I was saying to myself, what is this? I saw the 34 minutes. And so I thought, okay, this is, this is our final detour episode. Um, and then we, oh, you know, we saw, oh, well, here's, they're showing us uh, Fennec Shan. That's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, something's going to happen with her. But then we saw Ahsoka and we saw Gideon. So it's like, I don't really know what this episode's going to be about. I, 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 you know, it, and then, you know, it, it's, it, it opened with the Mando parenting, um, and so it still didn't really show its hand until we got the title card. It's true, and so Craig, for you too, I'm sure. Like when you see the beginning, you see Fennec Shan, and I said to my son, "Well, we're going to see. She's going to come back. We're going to find out who this is." And I had sort of thought for a while that it just made sense who the character was that was going to be that. But before we even get to that, we get Craig this amazing sequence at the beginning of this episode, I think is such a standout. What, what did you make of the beginning of this? Oh, it, it was amazing. I mean, it was in some ways a departure tonally for the show. Um, but also you hearkening back to the, the great scene, like my kids and I just kept repeating the Grogu and as he turns his head, uh, scene from, from the Ahsoka episode and to see, uh, Din kind of adopt that thing, uh, that, interplay with uh with grogu as well and to uh to really reach out and it's it's a very uh father and son very familial uh very tender um very light-hearted and and i think it's you know it's it's genius because they've set up you know the dichotomy between the beginning and how the end's going to go they're kind of softening you up a little bit um if you think about it after seeing it but I I just thought it was such a great scene. It's just very warm and, you know, it's holiday and we're sitting around with, there's the Christmas tree and we're just feeling good about things uh, <laughs> during that scene. I'm like, yeah, you know, everything is going to be okay. And then of course it all falls apart. Yeah, it very much uh, builds you up and the, the sweeter it is, uh, the more sour it's going to feel at the end. Typically. I mean, it, it's, it's a really incredibly powerful way to evoke emotion from you. And, to me, Jared, the most standout moment from this, and there are a lot of them, it, it, it definitely peels back the layers of Din Djarin, but he does something multiple times that we've never heard before, and that we actually get to hear him laugh. Yes, he, he does laugh, and he, he is, um, you know, in, in my notes I talked about that we've gone from the Mandalorian and the child to Din and Grogu. And we've gone from kind of a protector guardian to a little bit the last episode, but really this episode with him sort of as a parent does you, you teach your kids, you maybe you 
um, teach them to play catch or you're teaching them to write or to read and you practice them, you encourage them when they get something right, you kind of shout out, you laugh, you, you know, you live through your children in that way. And this opening to me really kind of sealed that Din Grogu father child or father figure and child. And, and, and then of course the title card just, you know, absolutely destroyed me after they built us up. <laughs> yes. It's, it's very important because I, I definitely think it's fair to say the father something is just, it's just there. It's just flat out there for all of us to enjoy and to kind of go through those emotions because that's very much what's going on. You, the, the Din Djarin we met at the opening sec sequence of chapter one is not the same character at all. There's been natural organic growth and progression. That's been really, really beautiful. And Again, the laughter. I uh, Mason. And I said he laughed. He's laughing, and he says, "You're very special, kid." Um, and the fact that Craig he was he was disappointed. And this is the second time we've we've heard a deity mentioned in this in this series. Uh, just kind of shows where he's at. Um, you're referring to the. Uh, oh, remind me what we're what we're talking with the. When he when he says the yes. Din Ferrick, is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like a oh my goodness type. It's the, yeah. the amount of emotion that, that comes that it. comes out yeah. of that is, uh, yeah. It's I, you know I'm thinking about earlier we'd seen him uh, lift his helmet slightly uh, when he was drinking sitting next to the child, and I'm still calling him the child. Uh, and and this next scene, he's he's just astounded at. Uh, at who this kid is and probably he's astounded at how his relationship is and how he's changing, uh, that he's finding himself opening up, you know, to this, to this, this child. Yeah. It, it's really, really wonderful. They, they land, they get, they break into the surface of, of Tython and they're, they're going to land. And then we, he says this great little moment, you know, I can't land there. It's too small. So we're going to have to, uh, what does he say? We're going to have to get there with the windows down. Windows down, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it instantly flashes to the sequence of, of the jetpack and and Grogu and, and Din Djarin just kind of floating towards this, this beautiful little sequence. And so, Craig, we'll just stick with you back, go back to you on this one, then we'll get Jared's opinion as well. But talk about the symbolism of this little area on Tython where they go to. Yeah, I looked at that and I, I immediately thought... <clears throat> excuse me, that it looked like Stonehenge, you know, like you could tell that this was something ancient, something deeply religious, something very important, sacred. Uh, and you know, it felt, yeah, this is, this is going to be a Jedi temple. This could be an ancient Jedi temple. Uh, it's serene. It's beautiful. Uh, but also it's, you know, it's empty too, because you, it's, you know, you can tell that no one's been there in a while. Uh, and so there is a little bit of tragedy to that as well, that, that, you know, he is, Grogu is potentially alone, but this is like, this makes sense that this would be a place where it would be a safe place to reach out to whoever's listening and right. that they would be able to come and, and that would be a peaceful and an easy place to, to meet out of the way. And I, I kind of like to Jared that at first the Mandalorian seems a little impatient, you know, are, are they supposed to see you? Are you supposed to see them? You know, you know, 
she said that you would know what to do. I like that he refers to her as that nice lady when he's, he's recanting you know, <laughs> everything. And by the way, just real quickly, Jared, before we get to your thoughts, Craig, when you said Stonehenge, you weren't talking about the Stonehenge from Spinal Tap, were you? No, no, it's it's much bigger than that. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> inches and feet, they're a different thing. Yes, it is. Uh, but Jared, I, I love I love the sequence when Grogu first take, goes on top of that little stone Certainly it's symbolic, I think. But also there's some beautiful things that happen with these butterflies. And it kind of reminded me of different things we've seen in, in the Clone Wars, too. I, I don't know. Is there anything that kind of jumped out to you? Yeah. You know, the the butterflies, when we finally got here, I sort of had a thought that, okay, this, this is going to go one of two ways. Uh, he's going to sit on there. Something's going to happen, you know, that kind of shocks us or, or nothing's going to happen. And, and they're going to surprise us by, by it, it doesn't work and this episode goes a different direction. And I was pleasantly surprised by he's sitting there. There's nothing. The camera's kind of moving around. Um, but we see these little butterflies and, um, Greater minds than me picked up on something that I had forgotten, which is that butterflies in Star Wars have been around for a while. And most recently, we've seen them in the uh, second volume of the Darth Vader comic by Charles Soule, where when Darth Vader is meditating on Mustafar, we see him sort of floating in not quite a Buddha pose, but his body is either, um, it's all these black and red and kind of very violent outlines of his body. And then there's his missing limbs. But he's always surrounded by these light side um, white butterflies that are kind of flitting around. And it's, you know, obviously we've never been told exactly what it is. The light side of the force, the good that's still in him that he hasn't managed to squash and... I didn't pick up it at the time, but but now having that insight, it makes um, a lot more sense kind of what happens next. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic comparison. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, that, that is very true. That is very true. I, I had thought, okay, this isn't just him swatting at a butterfly playfully because he's like a kitten. It's No, it's much more the force is very active here. You know, the force is, you know, connected by all living things. So he is reaching out to me to that part, that aspect of the force and, and things are starting to happen. And then, you know, you start to see more and more blue blood or butterflies show up, say that phrase five times fast, if you can. And then something happens, right? First, there's this blue energy field that pops up uh, very much surrounds and encompasses Grogu. And I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like that. Certainly we haven't in live action when it comes to a Jedi temple naturally, but then Craig, Slave One showed, and I, and I want to hear what both of what what went through both of your minds when Slave One showed up. I was just, oh my gosh, that's Slave One. Boba Fett's here. That's Slave One. That's that's Slave One. It's got to be Slave One. That's Slave One. That that was my reaction. <laughs> what about you, Jared? Yeah, I kind of had the same reaction for a for a brief moment. I um, I essentially said to myself. Boy, this fan film, man, their their graphics are great. And then I thought, wait, no, wait, this is I'm watching The Mandalorian, and Slave One is flying through atmosphere. Um, I, I don't, I don't know what's about to happen. 
I was petrified and and thrilled at the exact same time. I, I, there's a lot of paradoxical moments happening throughout this episode for me. I've already this is the third one I've even mentioned, but it showed up. I said to Mason, "There's slave one. There's slave one," and I was so excited and also completely terrified because I thought that it's got to be Boba Fett. That's there's the confirmation we've been we've been waiting for for you know over thirty years. What, 37 years? Yeah, 37, 38 years. I'm, again, not a math teacher, but yeah. <laughs> no. It's and, 83. Yeah, 83. Exactly. Yeah. Wait, what did yeah. I say the first time? Yeah. Edit myself. So I thought, this is thrilling. This is really, really, really bad. And then Din Djarin's reaction, even though he doesn't know that it's Boba Fett, he knows that it's someone there who apparently knows that they are there, you know, and he tries to get the child. He can't do it. He says, he's, he goes down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, basically help, you know, try, try to hurry up, will you? And then he runs down there and then we actually get to see the first, there's that huge blaster fire, but we meet Boba Fett really sort of in a way, Jared, we'll, we'll flip the order and go back to you on this. What are your initial impressions of Boba Fett leading up to the reintroduction of Fennec Shand? Uh, I, it was not what I was expecting. I mean, it. this character has such a mystique about him, similar to the ship, and yet the screen time has always been very, very minimal, uh, setting aside the Clone Wars, uh, you know, sort of a man of few words. And, and similar to seeing Fett's armor on Cobb Vanth and it kind of not looking, looking a little out of place, which was the clue that it wasn't Boba Fett wearing it. Here, we you know it's Boba Fett, but he's coming at you as in the garb of a Tuscan with the weapons of a Tuscan, and that sort of plays out in the first half of what's to come next. That it's it's not the Fett that we know. So, something's changed. I, I think I have an official announcement on Coffee with Kenobi. I actually like Boba Fett now. I've, uh -oh. I've yeah, I've never actually cared that much for him. I always loved the armor, but I always I didn't love him in Return of the Jedi. I certainly didn't. I wasn't crazy about him Attack of the Clones, and I didn't like his portrayal in the Clone Wars at all. And this has nothing to do with the actors. It just has to do with the portrayal of the character. I just thought, what is the point? There's really not much to him. But we suddenly have some nuance, and we don't get it necessarily right away in his first appearance. But Craig, to me, I thought, well, he's kind of parlaying here. He's at least, uh, you know, sticking true to his word. He, we realized that Fennec Shand is still alive, which really wasn't that much of a surprise. And I was just very taken by the fact that he wanted that armor so badly. Initially, I thought there was pride going on, but we don't even get much time to decide that because suddenly the, the Empire shows up and we've got We've got an agreement of what we're going to do as far as teamwork and working together. But, but Craig, go ahead and let us know, what do you think about Boba Fett leading up to and then after meeting him again? Yeah, you know, he's he, I love the design. He's always been cool, but kind of wasted. You know, we've talked about, um, and you've heard many times, like Captain Phasma is like the new Boba Fett. Like, great design, highly anticipated what they're going to do, kind of a letdown. Uh, but now, so after this episode, and I kind of think of it in, in similar terms as to like Vader's appearance at the end of Rogue One. Like that colors everything else. So next time I watch Empire, I'm going to be thinking, Boba Fett, this is what he does. And that was Boba Fett. And this isn't even Boba Fett in his prime. Like this, this, guy, is, this guy can handle himself. 
Um, and you know what? He's not, he's not the character that we that we'd seen before. Um, it's interesting in the way that he deals with, with Din and that he, he definitely feels more honor bound. Uh, he's more of a straight shooter, mm-hmm. um, literally and figuratively. That's right. And, uh, you know, later on he's, you know, he's, he's not a big fan of the empire. That was another big thing that, you know, the empire they're back and, you know, he could, you could tell like, that's not my side. I'm, I'm on the other side. Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting kind of just going back to that gray characters, you know, those, the bounty hunters are not good or bad. They just, you know, necessarily just depending on which side that they're, they're going to play. And it, it really, um, you know, I want to talk a lot about, hopefully we will, um, a lot about what Boba Fett's legacy is now Mm -hmm. based on this episode, because we got so much backstory and so much, uh, stuff that's filling things in that kind of confirms, theories that we've had about him yeah well i mean we're certainly going to talk about that and i mean really this episode there's a lot going on there's a lot of things that happen but there's really not a a ton to analyze there's a couple of key sequences obviously the ending is 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 critical to this but but let's just go ahead and i don't want to talk about the arrival of the empire's new army i don't want to talk about it we can talk let's let's kind of keep it focused on the, the team up and jared it's just it's all you, buddy. Just just go to town. Let's talk about everything in this that leads up to the arrival of the Dark Troopers, but not counting the Dark Troopers. Just yet. I just really want to talk about how the three of these uh, individuals work together and kind of stand out moments for you. Sure. So we're, uh, we're then introduced to Shand. Um, so Fennec's alive um, and is somehow in service to Fett. Uh, a life debt it seems like somehow she is um, obviously grateful that he saved her but you know cold hearted assassin also seems to have some type of and that was a big thing I had circled in my notes here honor question mark Shand to Fett and, and Fett and Shand later on to the Mandalorian and the child um but yeah, we see the we see all three of them really uh, holding their own and and fighting sort of with their own styles. And and Fett has this style that we really setting aside maybe the comics for a while. You know, we're seeing him fight melee weapons. I don't know if it's necessarily fighting as a Tuscan would, but he's fighting with the weapons of of the Tuscan Raiders, and he is. Uh, it's brutal. I mean, it's it's. Uh, this would be an episode I would definitely have second thoughts about showing um, my five year old because it is uh, the cracking of the armor is very visceral, um, and and we have Shand with her. You know, she's a, a an assassin. She loves her sniper rifle shooting from a distance. She's clearly um, very. Uh, lith and acrobatic both the actress and the character in in dodging the blasters coming her way and the mandalorian is of course his normal excellent um fighter and we see them taking out reams and reams of troopers each in their own way um we also see a new trooper uh 
So collectors get ready for yet another uh, painted trooper to show up at some point next year. <laughs> Craig, there's, there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of spectacular stuff for my money. That FET sequence where he uses that, um, that dental floss that is used by the, the sand people to help clean out the, the bantha teeth. The Gaffney sticks, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I said to him, I said, well, I guess they're not just used for flossing anymore. And he's like, ha, ah, I think you needed to laugh. But it was, like like you had just said, Jared, it was extremely visceral, easily uh, the most violent thing we've ever seen. The only In Star Wars, I think the closest thing to that would be the Last Jedi sequence in the in Snoke's throne room is, is just as far as the brutality of it. But my goodness, uh, wh what do you think was motivating Fed during that fight sequence? Because Jared mentioned life debt as a, as a possibility. I don't, and I don't know that you even think this really life debt. But really, don't have, we don't have much to compare it to. But there seems to be a sense of honor going on. But just talk, Craig, about the fight sequence specifically. Yeah, I'd have to agree that it's. I, I would say that easily the most violent. Um, sequence it you know it was visceral and you know when i saw that robert rodriguez was the one who had directed it uh having seen some of his earlier films i was like yeah you know that totally makes sense like the way it's shot and like when he was dragging the gaffy stick along just in anticipation of smacking the next stormtrooper it was like he's he's for real he's not to be t you know not to be messed with it is interesting to see his you know almost anger toward the stormtroopers, it was almost animalistic and it kind of made me wonder what, if he had a grudge against them as well, if it was more than uh, just in protection of, of Grogu, or if maybe he's just that dedicated to doing his job and you know, he's, he's been, we don't know how long he's been out of the Sarlacc. I mean, that's another thing that we'll maybe get an answer to at some point and maybe he's just, you know, he's, he's been thinking about this for a while and he's just ready to get out there and do some, do some good. Um, but you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see that he, they, in a lot of ways, they defied our expectations as Star Wars is great at doing, you know, it's subverting those expectations that we've never seen Boba Fett use the melee weapons before. We've never seen him be, you know, someone he's going to, yep, I made a promise. I'm going to follow through on that. The Empire? No, I'm not with those guys. So just repeatedly just kind of shattering those expectations. Like he does Stormtrooper helmets. <laughs> yep. Touche. Exactly. Yeah, the, I, I think, and I found this debating this kind of with myself, what is Boba Fett motivated by in this sequence? Is there anger? Does he have a reason to be angry at, at the Stormtroopers? I mean, up till this point, up until last Friday morning, I think we all thought of Boba Fett as a, as a bad guy. I think that's pretty fair to say. I mean, he helped to capture Han Solo and, or at least reap the rewards of that. And certainly his upbringing and training in Attack of the Clones or in the Clone Wars specifically showed how conflicted and tortured he was, mostly because of seeing his father beheaded, which of course would do a number on anyone naturally. But I, I to me, I really believe he was purely motivated by getting that armor back. I mean, certainly he did. He does have a, an agreement in place, but really, but when they're, they're, he's fighting for Din Djarin, they really haven't cemented an actual agreement, but it must be some sort of a gentleman's agreement or a Mandalorian agreement, so to speak. So I, I tend to think 
that yeah, the anger here may just be him taking out his aggression of wanting his armor for because who knows how long he's been separated from it, and, and just sort of the fury. Maybe this all reminded him of losing losing his father. It's really too early to know, and it's just kind of purely speculative. But Jared, I definitely think that we finally got a character like Craig mentioned, who is bound by a sense of of honor and not just evil for the sake of evil. Yeah, I think that's interesting that this is the way that they seem to be going with him and and potentially with Shand as well. That, And that's not an uncommon thing that people who have had near-death experiences, um, or at least in stories, that you know someone with a near-death experience has a sometimes a radical change in in personality or behavior um in a story and and clearly shand was left for dead uh and boba fett died um who knows uh exactly what happened in the sarlacc and how long he was there but he has come out of it um maybe a slightly different person. I mean, and, and to add, to add to the portrayals of him, the current uh, bounty hunters comic by Marvel has him in there as an antagonist to the main killer, uh, main character, uh, Bylart Valance and Boba Fett in there is your kind of classic, um, aggressive, uh, me, I mean, you, you don't get that kind of honor bound, um, portrayal in there at all. You get that very, classic um he'll do whatever he'll take he'll stab you in the back maybe twice um so this is this is what i talked about the kind of um lore building and also being very daring to 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 bring him back and to also bring him back seemingly and maybe we'll find out in the next episode or two as a slightly as a changed man well and that's just it isn't it maybe maybe there's a little bit of a, a complete transformation. Talk about the belly of the whale, Craig. Being inside, yeah, I know apotheosis, right? Yeah, right. Being inside the sarlacc pit, that would do. That will do a number on you. I would certainly think so. And so maybe we didn't have a misperception of both of but maybe he has changed. I hadn't thought of that before until you said that, Jared. That was that's really awesome because maybe because I thought well maybe all of this has been colored by the the lens we're looking at Boba Fett, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe he's just transformed. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out, but eventually towards the end of this initial battle, he does get his armor back as a spectacular sequence, including knee rockets of some kind. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and in a wonderful, wonderful moment where the, the stormtroopers actually run away, which we've never really seen like this. They're petrified of Boba Fett and they sure as heck should be. And he, he aims, of course he jokingly says, you know, the Mandalorian says, nice shot. He said I was aiming for the other one, and actually he was. But still, the fact he's able to target them both because he doesn't want them to escape. Completely stunning and thrilling. But let's take a break from Boba Fett for a second. We'll take a break on the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of what's going on with Grogu and being on that stone. This is Coffee with Kenobi. This is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. Because old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. 
This new year, we need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's still ours to win. Start different at GoDaddy.com. MEI and Mouse Fan Travel is your one-stop shop for your vacation needs and your plans to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, or the cruise lines. Travel looks much different now than it did a couple of months ago. And with the opening of Walt Disney World and soon, hopefully, the opening of Disneyland, you need a place to go where you can trust and they will help you figure out and navigate all the different circumstances and guidelines that Disney has put out for you. And I can say that we had our vacation modified, and as soon as dates were announced, MEI contacted me directly to help me reschedule, which is exactly what I was hoping to do. So if you are interested in rescheduling your vacation or want to try to plan a Walt Disney World Disneyland vacation or anywhere else you want to go on the planet, be sure to contact MEI and Miles Fan Travel at www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash Travel. Their signature service and expert advice will help you maximize your vacation time and dollar, and they will help you figure out all the different changes and modifications going on at the Disney theme parks. They are amazing, and I can tell you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, the peace of mind that Becky Mencken and the crew at MEI and Miles Fan Travel have given me is invaluable. If you're interested at all, again, go to www coffeewithkenobi.com slash mousefantravel. We are back and we're here on Python. Not literally, thank goodness, because that would be really, really tough. It'd be hard to get back home because we don't have a ship. We're going to get to that naturally. But Grogu, Craig, is on it. It's the seeing stone, right? He's, he's on the seeing stone. It's surrounded by this blue energy. And I think there's a ton of symbolism there. In fact, I'm getting ready to write something about that. For a publication that some of you may have heard of, uh, but we're, so we'll see that very, very soon. But w- tell me what you think. Use your English teacher hat. What was going on there? Well, you could tell that you know you noticed that he was very much like in the lotus position, um, and he was at peace. And, and I've heard other people talk about like he and my wife mentioned this too. Like he looked more like Yoda at that point. You yeah. know, he seemed to be transformed uh, as he's communing. Oh, I'm assuming he's communing. He's communing with the force at least. And he's becoming like, I'm assuming that he's, there's a lot of assumptions clearly uh, that he is in some way connecting with that stone and becoming a source or part of the source of this beacon. One thing that I found really interesting about the scene is, and I could be wrong. Maybe I need to see it a couple more times, but I did not hear the force theme at all while this was happening. um, Which it's kind of a strange thing for something where you're seeing that amount of power and the force being used at the same time. Right. So I wonder what what the what's the purpose uh, between that? Is there something something bad that's going to happen from that? We're not seeing, or maybe it's the fact that he's not using the force as much as he's being used by the force. Hmm. Um, I'm just speculating, of course. Uh, it did remind me. Um, the uh, the symbols and the runes or what have you reminded me a lot of in Rebels the war uh, the world between worlds uh, mm-hmm. that pattern we've seen other things in in Mortis of course like that too but that was immediately I was where I was taken to was like is this going to be a portal of some kind and and maybe it is maybe he's maybe he's making a call across uh, across the galaxy in some way through space and time and you know it you could even 
perhaps argue that that was a, a slightly different Grogu that was in the in the beam. I don't know. I mean, everything's is open at this point. Uh, they're continually creating these new new parts of the lore. So uh, I'm very interested to see if we do find out more about what actually happened to him while he was on that stone. Well, seeing actual energy produced in this fashion where you can, there's actually a physical manifestation of the energy surrounding it, sh- shooting it off into space very much like a radio antenna. And maybe he is actually communing with some Jedi somewhere in the galaxy as sort of a call to, you know, hey, I'm looking for help. I'm looking for training. Who knows what I'm looking for? But you're right. The, the Lotus pose, he looked very much older than he ever has because I think the way his his eyes were closed. And again, the, the work on Grogu, you know, from a special effects point of view is just unbelievable. Completely stunning and incredible. They can evoke such emotion from us. But I, I'm specifically interested in all the times that Din Djarin tries to break through that energy. In fact, it happens on three separate occasions. And three is a very, very powerful number in literature. It's It certainly goes back to the, the Christian use of the number three, whether it's, you know, Jesus rising on the third day, uh, you know, being nailed to the cross. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff with threes. And I'm not saying this is Christian inspired, but sub, I think there's a subtext there that, that's really, really interesting. To me, this is a, is symbolic of him trying to break through the internal parts of himself to be the father, right? And, and it, there, it is hard. We know we're all fathers. We know that it can be challenging. We know that it can be difficult. And we know that sometimes you feel like you're pushed away from, from your child <laughs> yeah. because of their frustration, because of their path, because of their purpose. And, and I found it incredible. I love the fact that there was blue. I think this, the blue is a very powerful symbolic color, but it couldn't be anything else. It does help me to feel like deep down the child, while there may be some some anger or some frustration, which we will certainly see at the end of the episode, which we'll talk about soon. But I do feel like it's very reassuring to a degree as well. Jared, anything you want to say about that that whole sequence and Din Djarin trying to break through? Well, I've been wrapped listening to the discussion you guys have just both had. Um, I definitely picked up on the the blue the um that he I, I it wouldn't surprise me if they used a slightly different puppet for that scene that it, it wasn't just our eyes playing tricks on us and you know kind of seeing yoda's face on dagobah and that slightly bluish lighting that that maybe they really had something that they're going for there the only other thing i could kind of think of was um although I never played the video game, I've seen a lot of the cutscenes. is Cal Kestis and Jedi Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. And that when you're saving the game or reach a waypoint, there are these circles with runes and kind of star patterns, very somewhat similar to World Between Worlds as well. And that you, um, when you get a, a experience point and you want to, change your stats or whatever you uh if i'm remembering correctly you do sit down cross-legged i mean that that's not necessarily unique that's a very kind of um common pose across across all different um you know teachings philosophies religions you know that you sit in a certain pose to ground yourself but you know that again star wars echoes very nicely now across all the different properties that you you don't see something that sort of jumps out at you as um 
kind of coming out of nowhere that you see the echoes of it through you know the video games the probably in the literature that's escaping me you see it in the the animated series yeah oh yeah for sure it's it, it's it's really interesting and i think we're going to see a lot more about this hopefully but like we said at the beginning craig i, I don't want to i want to have more questions than i do answers but it'll be nice to fill in a little bit and i think we're going to get that however we don't get much of a chance to take a breath do we because we see Moff Gideon in, in, in almost a mustache twitching kind of a way, sending down the dark troopers. And gentlemen, when those four came down, it, similar to when I initially saw Slave 1, I, I, I felt panicked. And I also felt, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get an action figure. of these. <laughs> How cool are they? I mean, it's like Tony Stark on uh, evil steroids. Yeah, there's definitely an Iron Man 2 vibe to that for me. I was like, oh, those are like those those drones that Justin Hammer ordered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sound was, you know, it could have been the same sound when they landed too, but it was like, uh, these guys are, yeah, we're, we're in trouble. There's no way we're going to be able to handle these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, my Mason was saying, why didn't they get up to the top in time? I said, well, this is just to build attention. I mean, I it, it, maybe it's the directing, maybe it's the writing, maybe it's this built-in internal clock we have inside ourselves that has has been gearing up because we know we're towards the end of season two. But I thought the pacing and the style of that Craig was just, was stunning and thrilling. Yeah. I mean, the whole episode was just an an amazing economy of storytelling. Like I I still cannot believe it's the shortest episode of the season because I feel like it had the most in it and it didn't feel rushed to me. No, it didn't. But, but you feel rushed for the child who, is just as it wakes up and, it, and it's a little bit disoriented, it's grabbed. Uh, the dark troopers don't use the force, but I I love the look of their armor. I love the look of those helmets. I love that the, it's almost like there's this molten passion or fire underneath them. We don't know what's underneath them. Are they robot? Are they clone? Are they are they Mandalorian? Are they volunteer? What are they? We don't know because they grab the ch- the child. And they 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 rock it away. Boba Fett goes chasing after them, and then is called off. I want to talk about the Mandalorian. First of all, how did you guys feel seeing Grogu go away? I mean, is there really anything to say besides devastated, worried, freaked out? I mean, really, what else is there? I was worried that the ship was too far out of orbit, and that he was just going to die. They're just going to take him into outer space. I'm like, that's not going to work. Uh, and so I had that initial feeling and then okay well i guess he's not going to die now because it's in atmosphere but man we're this is still going to end very badly this is still the worst possible outcome it's a horrific horrific sucker punch to your to your emotional gut because you i mean for all intents and purposes that is his child and to see the child whisked away from you is, is horribly traumatic but jared to me i was almost surprised that the mandalorian's like you know it's too late he got away. Like, did did Dinjarin give up, or what was going on there? I was a little, yeah. I mean, they clearly plotted this out to where we saw him take off the rocket pack. That 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 oh. Deus Ex Machina was not going to happen. Yep. Here, um, which is what you would expect. Oh, they fly now. Well, he flies too. So this is going <laughs> to continue in space. I, you know, he his attitude from here through the rest of the show up until maybe speaking to Cara Dune at the very end. I I mean, I think shock, 
and 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 obviously we we skipped over the other tragedy the the kind of one two punch their you know their home his ship gets destroyed yeah um and oh, yeah, not really like and, and the kind of destroyed that the mon Kyle with the nice sweater is not going to be able to repair no matter how much um <laughs> string and nets he uses so there's this um and i think it makes him feel vulnerable that that he was probably in shock and um probably felt that he had failed and and i think uh, under understandable feelings um and that and you know they could have written it another way where he's mad and yelling and uh, very aggressive um and lashing out and i think they took another interesting approach on it in that it there's a lot of internally going on but because of the mask we don't see the face we kind of have to project ourselves onto it in this moment um and and i think he is above all else above all else probably still very much a realist but also he's a planner i mean we see the end of the episode is he's already the wheels are turning that that he's not um he's, he doesn't feel defeated but that he um knows what has to be done right yeah and, and we can just certainly talk about it now the the one-two punch of losing the child and losing the razor crest and i, and I think you nailed it Jared. It, it's that's him i mean that's their home that's where the two of them grew to know each other and they've had a lot of memories on that ship and to see it explode like that i mean where there's really not any doubt it's not like you said as you said it's not like they can put it back together you know all the king's horses and all the king's men are not going to be able to do anything but this and i am happy that i didn't order the razor crest from the hot <laughs> i had that feeling too yeah <laughs> but no, you, know, you could recreate that scene. <laughs> right, that's right. Ironically, the the on over the weekend the the Lego Star Wars Advent Encounter, I'm sure you both saw online, was the Razor Crest, and it comes, of course, in pieces. You have to put it together, and, and naturally, the the first joke is, "Oh gosh, I don't need to put it together. Yeah, it's done. It's done." But it is very symbolic because that was that was their safety, that was their sanctuary. We had that wonderful moment at the end of the Jedi where. Grogu was sleeping in that net, almost like his crib, and and Din Djarin was watching over him, and now that's gone. It, losing that and losing the child, I don't think that he gave up, but I think that, like you said, he was in shock or devastated. And, you know, in a beautiful sequence, he finds the the knob. Mm-hmm. This plays such a critical role in this, very symbolic throughout the entire series. And then he finds the Beskar. The steel, the the unbreakable steel that even through an explosion of his home, it still is there showing, you know, the resilience, the toughness of Din Djarin, of the Mandalorian people. Before we get to the very, very end, however, Boba Fett and Din Djarin have this wonderful conversation where we learn a lot about Boba Fett. We learn that he says the armor's been in his family for 25 years. He shows the chain code. I'm assuming that language is clearly not or a bash, but some sort of a Mandalorian hieroglyphics. By the way, there were, there were, there were some sort of hieroglyphics around the seeing stone. It's kind of hard to tell what that actually is, but this is the moment guys where I thought I'm all in on fed. I already, I kind of was throughout this episode, but then to hear the fact that, you know, I promised to protect, to make sure that you and the child were safe. If I got my armor back, I did get it back. 
So I'm going to help you. I was thrilled by that. I can honestly say I never expected that. I don't know what people expected about seeing the return of Boba Fett because, of course, we knew it was eventually going to happen. I I never wanted it to happen, but now that it has, the way that they did it, the angle that they they chose, the using the honor, showing finding out that actually Jango Fett is very much like he's a foundling, just mm-hmm. like Dindran is. I love that so much. It added so much color to that character. And the fact that he's going to stick around to help. I mean, I, I partially I expect him to betray Dindran a couple of times in this episode. He never did. Uh, it was it was really, really welcome. And as I said at the top of the show, I'm all in on Boba Fett now. I never thought I would say that. But to me, he's finally earned that reputation. And again, knee rockets, right? Right. So, Craig, anything on what we learned about Boba Fett and how that has sort of fleshed him out? Because like like we had said, he wasn't much of a character before. I mean, he looked cool, but he really wasn't much of a character. And I do want to say on the record again, whether it's Darth Maul or Captain Phasma or Boba Fett, it's never bothered me that these characters aren't on screen very much because less is more. But anyway, I babbled enough. No, you're you're fine. Um, you know, in my view, Boba Fett is now a Mandalorian. Yeah, officially. Exactly. And and for me, that was that was one of the big. I was like, he he actually is because we've been you know when originally that was what we we thought he was, and then Clone Wars comes out and Almec says no, Jango Fett's not. And so by extension, Boba Fett's not. And you kind of have to look at however Django is, that's who how Boba is. I mean, they're inextricably tied together, clearly. Um, and now, you really, you can say that all, what Almec said was true from a certain point of view. If you look at, well, if he's a foundling, then he's not, you know, he's not a blood-born Mandalorian, therefore he's, he doesn't count. Um, but from our point of view, and we're seeing Din Djarin come in, that's, we know there's several flavors of Mandalorians. We have, you know, so foundlings count just as legitimately uh, as those born on Mandalore. So if Din Djarin's a Mandalorian, and I think we can all agree that he is, then so is Boba Fett. And that, to me, just, I mean, I've I've read some things. I tried not to read too much because I didn't want to call her what we're talking about, but things talking about, well, that means that by extension, all the clones are Mandalorians in a certain sense. And so you have this Jedi Mandalorian war re- being recreated during the clone wars or at the end of the clone wars that to me i just i was so excited about yeah boba fett actually he's he is cool for, for all of these reasons and he is yep. he's kind of like the uh the forebear of what of what din is now and like he could be and i don't know what form they want to take it, but you could have him come along like hey let me be your mentor now you know i've been where you are um and it, yeah, just it's very exciting. It really yeah. is, really. And we we hear the the mention of the Mandalorian civil wars too, which I think is interesting. And Jared, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's so interesting because you know George did this with Darth Maul. He's dead. No, he's back. Oh, George brought Darth Maul back, and then. Through Dave, they in and on into Rebels weave this unbelievable story of Darth Maul and make him an infinitely more interesting character than you could have ever thought. And maybe that's what's about to happen with Boba Fett, where some people maybe have rolled their eyes that he's alive, and maybe five or six years from now, after maybe a Fett series, we'll all say, Wow, 
you know, Favreau, Filoni, or, you know, whoever helms the future of Fett, you know, what an amazing character that we have now that no one could have ever imagined um, that we would have. Because even though now maybe he is a Mandalorian and maybe this will change, he doesn't seem to be interested, or at least he's Fett has never been presented as interested in that his culture you know the the mandalorian obviously he's a foundling um he's you know a child of the watch so that's an extremist religious sect and and bo is a, a different part of mandalorian culture and you know we've got the dark saber floating out there and we've we've got mandalorians all over the place but fed is the out of everybody kind of on the chessboard he is our first Mandalorian, so to speak, in Star Wars, but he is the least kind of Mandalorian if you take away sort of the armor that, and it'll be interesting to see where he falls kind of culturally. You know, if, if the Darksaber is lying on the ground, is he going to say, I've got the Darksaber now, I'm going to be ruler of Mandalore? Or is that just something that, you know, doesn't interest him? His, that part of his heritage and culture has never been important. Right. And we learn from Cara Dune, you know, in chapter eight, you know, Mandalorian is, it's a creed. It's, it's, you know, it's a people too, but it's all, it's also kind of a religion. It's also very much a way of life. It, there's a lot of, of color to it. it it's very real worldly in, in a very interesting way. And I'm reminded of Christianity to the degree that there are a lot of different aspects in sub subsets of Christianity. There are a lot of different ways that people worship, a lot of different ways that people live their Christian lifestyle. And the same appears to be true of Mandalorians. I mean, Boba Fett says, you know, I don't answer to anybody. I mean, that's not verbatim, but I answer to no one. Uh, I'm beholden to no one. He, he's, he does his thing. He does thing his way, whereas Din Djarin is certainly not that way. He answers to his way of life. He, he's responding to the quest that the armor has given him. And that's how he lives his life. But he's, he's much, uh, it's just very interesting. They're alike because they have the armor and because they're they're fierce warriors and they appear to live by a certain code. But where else that fleshes out, we don't know. I mean, ironically, even though we've known Boba Fett a heck of a lot longer since 1980, we know a lot more about Din Djarin, but we still don't know that much. And we still got a long way to go. But I want to talk about the very end of this episode. When we get to see where the child is, where the child is held Jared, we'll start with you. Give us your thoughts on that ending sequence. Ah, uh, so we got to talk about bad Grogu. Do we? Is it? What do you think? Well, you know, I've watched that several times, and it's we obviously come in um, mid-action, and so we don't know to what extent. I mean, we know that Grogu's been captured, and he probably. Um, I think uh, understands that too. Uh, you know, we as much as we think of him as the child, I have a suspicion that he's pretty aware of what is going on. And Ahsoka tells um, us, you know, he understands yes, that he'd been hiding his ability to survive all those years. That he'd been hiding them. So, I I would like to think, to his credit, that the troopers were harassing him, or that that something um, had provoked him, other than being kidnapped um but i th think that it's also probably very plausible that he was 
un understandably, but was lashing out in, in fear and anger um, at his surroundings, at being ripped away from his father figure, the Mandalorian. Um, and, and obviously this sort of harkens back to what Ahsoka was talking about in the last episode, that he has a strong attachment to the Mandalorian. She sensed much fear in him. And those were all reasons that um, cautioned her not to want to train him. And, you know, I don't think at this point, maybe we'll see next week that, that they're trying to telegraph to us, even if it's sort of a head fake that, you know, Grogu's going to go bad. But I think that they are playing with very common themes here, going back to what Yoda said, you know, much fear I sense in you and fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. Very well said. Very well said. Craig, a wise person said that once. Well, <laughs> Craig, good luck following that, but you're next. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so just a couple of things that I thought of uh, immediately with, you know, are they going to go to bad Grogu? And, you know, immediately I think to, we thought that maybe about Ezra in Rebels. Will they go that far? Will we? Because we saw him, especially with, you know, the Fear Knocks and, and things like that. Well, he, maybe he has those tendencies and maybe that's why we don't see him as a Jedi later on. But I don't. I don't think that'll be the case with, with Grogu either. What I'm interested in is is why. Why is Moff Gideon, um, getting him angry? I, I do. Th I, I I did read it as the stormtroopers had been goading him, that that was they were probably ordered to, to get him as mad as possible and, to to unleash that side of him, and we know from earlier episodes that, Grogu is essentially looked at as a donor, you know, a midichlorian donor. Is there some logic in amping him up quicker? So he's stronger in the force doing to the dark side that we can, that facilitates the, the donor process or, or makes him somehow more valuable in that regard. Or is he planning on unleashing him against then? I mean, there's, there's multiple ways we could, we could see how this could go. Um, Again, more questions than, than answers. Uh, or is he just cruel? I, I mean, there's, or it could be all of the above. See, I, I never took it as they were set there to get him agitated or that they were even, you know, that even Moff Gideon even had a sense of an idea of what was going to happen. Because when he peers into that little portal, he looks surprised and confused and even says, hey, you know, don't put a stop to you. I want to see what happens. I think this was completely new to him. And I don't believe that the, the stormtroopers were egging him on or doing anything. I'm sure they didn't take him seriously. I mean, he just certainly doesn't look threatening. My thought was that he was there, the stormtroopers walked in, and he reacted from fear. Yes, he was aggressive because he had to be to protect himself. I mean, he's so small. And there are these he's seen throughout this entire series what stormtroopers are like, and who knows what he was used what he saw in the Jedi Temple and all of those things that happened since he was around during the purge. It's really, really hard to say. Certainly is scared, but to me, the reason this show is this episode is called the tragedy is because a child is being forced into a situation where it has to fight for its life, and that that slippery slope of dark versus light that that we were reminded of, I think, most profoundly because of what Ahsoka Tano said in the Jedi. That's why it kind of comes to the forefront of our of our collective subconscious, and then becomes a reality when we look at what's happening. And the first time I watched it, I was so disturbed and distraught because I thought that Grogu was was choking them and then 
getting them close to dying and then releasing him and then choking them again, almost like he was torturing them. And that really bothered me. And then I watched it again and I didn't get that at all. The second time I watched, it, I thought, no, he's, he's angry. He's pushing them aside. He's smashed them together because he's trying to defend himself, but he's so weak and he's so out of it that that's all he can muster. And then when he gets his strength back up, we're right back into the thick of it again. So Again, the, to me, the tragedy is having a, a poor, sweet child being put in a position where they have to make that kind of a of a decision that could affect their conscience uh, for the rest of their lives. You know, we're talking about souls here, and it, it to me that was the most upsetting part. But I want to see what both of you thought. Was he was he torturing them? Was he trying to survive? Or what exactly was going on? And and Jared, we'll start with you. Ah. Uh. I don't know if he had um, any kind of premeditation. I think it was probably very much a reaction. Um, and again, because of when we came in, you know, and I think they, you know, they brilliantly filmed the scene, brilliant, brilliantly wrote it to sort of leave us on edge, both as to you know, what has happened to him, but also what is happening to him. Because I don't know, I'm still sort of on the fence about, you know, this is not necessarily, you know, we, we talked about Ezra and the Fear Knox, and obviously we all went crazy with um, what ended up being Dark Vision Ray. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Disney, Lucasfilm, Star Wars kind of, you know, hinting at us things that, you know, never end up quite coming true, but they play an important role in sort of as we um, digest the story, having that sort of on our plate. And so I, I'm not ready to say kind of one way or the other, what exactly is, is happening there other than I, I don't think he's premeditating any kind of harm to them, but I think um, I'm not necessarily convinced that, um, that something um, isn't simmering there. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, if he's 50, but, you know, I don't know what the, the, the mental, I mean, I, I thought before the Jedi, I thought he was just kind of like a little toddler, but there's some, there's some growth there, but now I feel like he's much more aware and more fully formed uh, from a, a, a for, he's well past linear thinking into multidimensional thinking. Uh, I'll be at the early, onset of that but I, I think he's very aware of his surroundings very aware of what's going on and, and i think like i said i'm glad i watched it a second time because i didn't get the sense that he was torturing these stormtroopers but he's definitely fighting for his life and i hate that a, a child has to go through that but craig what do you think yeah i i don't think he's torturing them either i i was um first off again i have to follow just another great point of jared's but um i thought earlier about um when he force choked Cara Dune from in the first season. So he's, we've seen him in the past use the force choke as a defense mechanism. And my, my, again, we don't know, but my gut is that he is, he's reacting. Um, he's put it in a corner. And so he's reacting with what he knows and he's, he's defending himself. And, and yeah, it is. I do. I agree with what you said, Dan, that the tragedy here is, is the loss of his innocence, or at least that, that that's what it appears. Mm -hmm. It's that it's the death of innocence. That's the real tragedy here that he's forced to whether, whatever the motivation is, he's forced into violence. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is not a place you want to be. So we, we've got a lot to look forward to in two episodes. I'm, I'm really glad that this happened earlier. So we've got a, a much more room for a longer finale. And my goodness, who knows how we're going to feel in two weeks. But one thing's for sure, it's going to have us talking and gasping and cheering and sighing and all of the above. I mean, the pathos here is just exquisite and out of this world. And, and I can't think of two people better to chat about it with than the two of you. So, Craig and Jared, thank you both so very much for coming on Coffee with Kenobi. Do you have any last-minute thoughts about the episode before we close up? Jared, go ahead. You can go first. I want sure, to talk you again. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, I sort of play this game when I watch uh, an episode for the second or third time. I say, if I was the director, uh, where would I have the practical set end and the volume begin? And in this episode, yeah. I really am curious to find out how much of this was filmed on those old Western backlots out in the hills outside L.A. Because so much of it looked, it, it all looked real, that, that they had just all driven out to those scrub hills where they shot all those Westerns all those years ago. Or did they really just fool us and the, the volume is just that good? That's a good point. Craig, any last minute thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, just just a couple again, I, I I think that I do that too with which parts of the volume after having seen that that great uh documentary those great documentaries. Um, but going back to to Boba Fett and, and Django Fett, and I think it was my wife that actually brought this up first was if we hear that Django Fett fought along fought in the in the Mandalorian Civil War, like how did he lose his way? Like how did he become this this mercenary, did he start off as, you know, a true believer? Uh, and then something, something changed his mind where he's, you know, he's all about, it seems to be all about whatever the biggest paycheck is. Um, so, I mean, there's just stories. I want to hear these stories in whatever form they're going to be. If it's a comic, if it's a novel, if it's an animated, if it's live action, um, I, I would just like to, I would have, I would like to have those please. Um, and then just kind of a small thing. And, maybe I just missed the boat on this somewhere because there's so much out there is that it was a revelation to me that the Boba Fett armor was the Django Fett armor repainted or just colored differently. Yeah. I'm wondering that too, because like some of the design that they're trying to set up like in like does does Django Fett have those same sleeves where you can just clearly got a a flamethrower connected there. I don't know. I, I wondered that too. I thought, is this, is it? Are we saying that this is the same armor? Because he said it's been in his his family for twenty five years. Here's the chain code. So I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, it's a small a small detail, but it kind of stuck in my brain. Is huh? I I just assumed that was a, a separate separate set of armor. So you know, it's a, it's a small thing, but you know, we we love the minutia. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, it, it's the best. <laughs> it is the absolute best. Uh, as, as for me, I I mean, again, I stand by it as an A plus. It's the emotion that I felt during this episode, the thrill of seeing Slave One, the great fight sequence, the redemption of Boba Fett is, is, a, is a pliable character that is worthy of further introspection was there. And the, the way I felt at the end and the lead up to whatever's going to happen in the last two was unbelievable. Let's go ahead and take one more quick break and we will return with our closing thoughts on 
the tragedy. This is Coffee with Kenobi. Do-it-yourself doesn't have to mean all by yourself. Help is as close as homedepot.com slash workshops. Now with free DIY live stream workshops, live hands-on courses from real expert associates. Learn how to install floor tile, create a tile backsplash, replace a thermostat, and more. All from the best seat in the house, yours. To register, go to homedepot.com slash workshops. Only from the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Listening to Coffee with Kenobi, you are with Dan Z, the podcast you're looking for. This is... That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a cup of coffee with me and for helping to spread the word about our Star Wars family we've got here at Coffee with Kenobi. Be sure to tune in Monday nights at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live at www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash live or www.facebook.com slash coffeewithkenobi and have a cup of coffee, tea, or any beverage of your choosing with me as we continue the conversation. To join us in the CWK Cafe, which is our Facebook group, and share your Star Wars thoughts, comments, reviews, and opinions in a family-friendly, spoiler-free place that is also drama-free, go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash community and be part of the conversation, talk about this week's show, or just talk about some Star Wars. It is a lot of fun and you'll make some new friends as well as catch up with longtime friends along the way. I also want to thank all of the new and longtime members of the CWK Alliance and let you know how much I appreciate your help and encouragement. A big thank you to our CWK Alliance members, Mary Perdue, Jason Hall, Dennis Keithley, Ross Holliban, Cato McNichol, Alexander Moylan, Jim Capron, Smooth Rivera, Tyler Pompa, Frank Mulder, Colby Mead, LJ Souter, Daz Davies, Dustin Mills, Robert Avila, Terry King, Jeff Ellis, David Nicely, Chris Gavarka, Angela Sauce, Aaron Harris, Greg McLaughlin, Eric Struthers, Christine Turk, Brian McKinney, Alex Procasio, Hannah, Susan Gray, Ian Thompson, Dan Ream, Christian Dale, J.C. Poe, Ed Kimoto, Blake Weaver, Chelsea Sansbury, Yancey Evans, Craig Hargrove, Chris Metz, Connie Shee, Mark Suter, Jared Cantor, Kurt McKellen, Thea Selby, and Simbot Defterdarian. If you want to join the CWK Alliance, be sure to go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash Alliance and sign up today. Not only will you help out Coffee with Kenobi, but you also get access to CWK Portal, the exclusive weekly podcast not heard anywhere else. It's a great way to support and help out the show, and 10% of your monthly contributions go directly to the St. Jude Children's Hospital to support the incredibly important work they are doing to help these brave children and their families. Plus, contributors at the CWK All-Star level can watch a video podcast of CWK Portal, hosted by me, Tom Gross, and Corey Club. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions. In addition to being part of the community on Facebook, please don't forget to visit our website at www.coffeewithkenobi.com for Star Wars news, announcements, reviews, live video, and so much more. If you have a question for me or just want to share your thoughts on the air, please feel free to reach out to me at danz at coffeewithkenobi.com and I'll share them on the show. You can also connect with me on Twitter at MrZerMRZEHR. There are also a lot of ways to connect with me and Coffee with Kenobi on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 
Give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash coffeewithkenobi and check us out on Pinterest. You can find me twice a month on the podcast Looking at Lucasfilm, part of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, and you can find my writing on CWK's website as well as starwars.com, where I'm an official blogger there, as well as on IGN, where I contribute articles on Star Wars as well as other popular culture topics. And if you're considering starting a podcast or a blog, let me know how I can help you get started and help you make your creative vision a reality. Be sure to check out danzmedia.com and we can get the process started. I'm also available to come to your school, conference, business, or organization to talk about how to tap into your strengths and help you bring out your very best. You can take that first step into a larger world. Thanks as always to our CWK sponsors, especially MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, our travel partner and your one-stop shop for all things Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Lines, or anywhere on the planet. Please go to www.coffeewithkenobi.com slash mousefantravel to book your magical vacation and help support Coffee with Kenobi in the process. And don't forget to pre-order my brand new book that I wrote alongside Pablo Hidalgo and Cole Horton, The Star Wars Book, published by DK. Be sure to pre-order your copy of The Star Wars Book today. I can't wait to share it with each and every one of you. If you like the show, please tweet out that you're listening, share it on Facebook, or invite your friends and family to tune in and share a cup of coffee with us. And if the Force is especially with you, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Every review makes a huge difference and helps to spread the word. Go to iTunes and search Coffee with Kenobi and you'll see the show there. My circle of friends has grown so much because of this podcast and each and every one of you, and it means so much to me that we have such a wonderful Star Wars community. Thank you all so much for all you do. Craig, you were such a great guest, of course. That's no surprise. I mean, obviously, you and I have been friends for years and years, almost since the beginning of Coffee with Kenobi. And now you've got your own uh, exploration to a larger world through through Coruscant Community College. Tell us all about the podcast and what's going on there and where people can listen to it. Sure. Um, so Coruscant Community College, uh, let me give out the website. It's just coruscantcc.podbean.com. And we're on all the uh, – anywhere you find podcasts, we're there. Uh, and what we're doing, my, my podcast partner, uh, Matt Leader, and I, we're, we're both teachers, and we've both used Star Wars in the classroom for the last several years. And what we're doing is trying to share our methods uh, to the greater Star Wars community and educators out there who may want to use Star Wars, may have never had an opportunity to do that or, or knew that there was resources out there. And so we, we just concluded season one uh, a couple weeks ago. And the first season, we just laid out uh, each of the aspects that we look at when we we teach our students how to how to read film, essentially. Uh, and then we'll be doing some deep dives um, starting soon, probably early in the new year. Uh, season two will be starting with the Phantom Menace and going through and doing. Here's a super deep analysis, looking at cinematography and and the sound and performances, set design. And just really breaking it down as much as we can. Again, getting into the minutia uh, and sharing, hopefully, some slightly different focused analysis uh, of Star Wars films. I like it. I think there's something to this teaching with Star Wars stuff. <laughs> well, yeah. it's a lot of fun, that's for sure. It is a lot of fun. And you, you've always been, uh, I mean, off the air, Craig and I, of course, we talk a lot. But we talk a lot about teaching and Star Wars and education, and you've always been such a great sounding board for me, as, as well as an incredible muse and an inspiration. So I'm so excited about the show. I love it. I love what the two of you are doing. 
And I definitely think everybody not only needs to catch up if they haven't already, but they need to subscribe and, and stay tuned and follow you all over social media. And speaking of that, where can they find the show on social media? Uh, so we're uh, at Coruscant CC, uh, CC Pod, uh, just about everywhere. We're there on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr. I think pretty much if there's a social media feed, we're on there. So if you just search out Coruscant CC, you'll find us. And what about you personally? What about if people just want to reach out and, and say hello and continue the conversation with you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at InfluxMan. I love it. And Jared, what about you? I mean, usually you and I are talking about Forces of Destiny or other things, but you're brought, now you've been on this for two Mandalorians. Hopefully you'll come back for season three. We would love to have you. And where can people reach out to you if they want to continue the conversation with you? Sure, Dan, I'd love to be back on again sometime soon. Uh, people can find me at that uh, wretched hive of scum and villainy known as Twitter, where I can be found at Jared Cantor. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. There's no one here. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can drive change or build an empire. Because old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. This new year, we need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's still ours to win. Start different at GoDaddy.com.